Okay, if you open your Bible to Exodus chapter 25, we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. We're still studying, we're still following the pathway that we started back five or six weeks ago, and I'm sure you're, everybody's familiar with that. We did the overlay of the tabernacle. We've studied the brazen altar, which is what? Christ our sacrifice. Then we studied the brazen laver, laver, where people come to wash before they do service for the Lord. That pictures Christ our sanctification. Now we're looking this morning at the priest that goes through the veil. This is the tabernacle. We've all been through it. All these pieces of furniture, there's seven in total. Pictures the local church. It's divided into two sections. This one is a four, uh, four square back in the back. We'll get to that in four or five weeks. But this is considered by the scriptures a place of service. It pictures our, it pictures them serving. It also pictures you and I as New Testament Christians serving. It's got three different pieces of furniture in them. And we're going to look at that this morning. This is not a very good replica, but I had to make it kind of handmade, small as I could. It's called a table of showbread. We've got a picture of it up here. Now don't forget, everything in the tabernacle is what? Description of deity. It's a blueprint of the believer. It's a shadow of our salvation and its characteristics of the local church. So that's a picture. As far as I can tell, it's pretty well uh, about as accurate as we can get it. It was two cubics long, which is three foot. It was a cubic wide, which is 18 inches. That's close. And it was a cubic and a half tall, which is about 27 inches. So we're going to look at that this morning, and I'm going to try to move along as quick as I can through the first two points, because much of that is repetitious of everything that we've looked at in the other pieces of furniture, but we want to get to the things that apply to you and I uh, over on point three. Uh, hopefully we can get over there and have enough time to uh, uh, take care of that where we talk about the, the purpose and the satisfaction of the showbread that's on the table. But the table was made of wood. Let's let's read verse 23, chapter, Exodus chapter 25, verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubic the breadth thereof, and a cubic and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. <clears throat> And thou shalt make unto it a border of a hand's breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. <clears throat> and thou shalt make her four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the uh, four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. He's emphasized that two or three times. <clears throat> and thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof, and the covers thereof, and the bowls thereof, to cover with all of pure gold shall thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. You might want to underline the word always. We'll look at that sometime later in the lesson. <clears throat> but the table was made of wood, 
overlaid with gold. Somebody tell me what that pictures for us when we go to the New Testament of Christ. The wood was what? The humanity of the Lord Jesus. The overlaid with gold pictures the deity. Again, I can't explain this. I wish I could, but there's so many things that God did not explain to us and tell us. But he was what we call, it pictures what we call in Jesus Christ, the God-man. Uh, Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Uh, I hope everybody's clear. We've tried to make it clear. He was not part man and part God. He was all man as if he was not God at all. He was all God as if he was not man at all. Now that's going to be vitally important when we get to the lampstand here in uh, another week or two. Uh, we're going to see some things that most Christians probably very rarely ever see in there, but is greatly needed in our lives and in our church uh, today. But uh, he was, like I said, he was the God-man. Now how we separate that, you and I don't know. I don't know. And you know, it's interesting when God gives us things that there's no answer to, he doesn't try to answer. He just says, this is what that, that was the, the makeup of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't try to explain how that works. So the only thing you and I can do is accept that by faith. But the, uh, anyway, when he, when he gave Moses the directions, he put a crown around the top of that table. This entire table pictures our Lord Jesus Christ, what we're looking at right now. But that crown pictures around the edge, pictures the sovereignty of God. You remember when they crucified the Lord Jesus, again, God works in strange ways. This was a lost group of people. When they crucified our Lord Jesus, they put a sign that they made up on the top of the cross. And what did it say? This is the King of the Jews. Now, they did that under the providence of God because they did not believe he was King of the Jews. Uh, they, they were crucifying him amongst malefactors. Then also there was a second crown. They put a, they put a border around here. This is the crown. I don't know what it really looks like. They said that's a span's length. Now, nobody knows exactly, but they're guessing about eight inches. That was when you spread your hand from finger to toe. That was abandoned. There was a second crown on there. Anybody can tell me what that pictures? The crown on top pictures him as king of the Jews. The two crowns together picture him as king of kings and lord of lords. Now that's spelled out if you want to look at that in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 15. But I think everybody's heard that. But it is picturing and you and I know he's not king of kings and lord of lords. Pictured like that in the world today. But the day's coming. The day is coming when our Lord Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout. And uh, that will take us into the tribulation period. And uh, all the kings and empires of the earth will acknowledge him in that day of king of kings and lord of lords. And those kingdoms will be totally destroyed. There will be one kingdom left. I, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for that day. Amen. Then we mentioned here that they, <clears throat> they put the gold rings... Uh, in the legs of the table, put the staffs through them on the four corners with the rings. And he emphasizes this two or three times. Uh, <clears throat> said to bear the table, that they could move the table. 
that picture is for you and I that everywhere that nation of Israel went, that table of showbread went with them, and that picture is the presence of God. Now, for you and I over in the New Testament, that is pictured for us in Hebrews 13.5. Can anybody quote that? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How many of you, like I do sometimes, we go through some difficult times in this life, and sometimes we're prone to say, where's God? Why am I going through this, and where is God, and why doesn't God do something to help me? The scripture says that God's an ever-present help in a time of need. And, you know, I went back years ago, did a message on Ezekiel chapter 3 where it said the wheels are in the wheels. Sometimes you and I don't see God's hand working, but God's working and the wheels are turning every minute of every day of my life and your life. And it, all, it was pictured to us in Mexico this last week. We'd worked for 10 days. We'd got those boxes, boxes packed and they were supposed to have a truck there to pick those things up and load it and here it was 5.30 at night and the truck hadn't showed up and the broker couldn't find him and we couldn't find him and we sat down and said what's going on about that time he knocked on the door and said I'm here <laughs> so it all worked out at the last minute God's never late <clears throat> but a lot of times he's not early either but he's always what? on time he's always on time <clears throat> now I'm sure all of you know uh, that bread, and we'll look at that in just a few minutes. That bread pictures who? Pictures who? Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. We'll, uh, we're going to look at that in just a second. But we've looked at the specifications of the table, the length and all, and I'm being quick because we've been over this in every article so far because it all pictures it. Let's look at the setting of the table. <clears throat> In 25 and verse 30, just quickly, and then we're going to look at another text. Thou shalt set, thou, and thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. Now we're going to go to uh, John chapter 6 in just a minute. But not only does this showbread that's on this table picture our Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll look at all that teaching in a minute. But it goes back to the manna just shortly before that in the wilderness. That was the first mention of bread picturing our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all remember how the, that God fed the nation of Israel in the wilderness? He sent down manna from heaven. Let me just quickly. That's the first mention of uh, a bread that God provided. But both of them are pictured different. Number one on the manna, and we're not going to look it up, said came down from heaven. He, the manna was heavenly source. It fell on the ground. That pictures humility. It was round. That pictures perfection and never-ending supply. It was white. That pictured purity. And it was substance for the people. And that pictured Christ, the life giver. And in the picture of Christ in the manna that was provided in the wilderness, it pictured Christ in humiliation as the life giver. Now, let's look... Uh, at the table of showbread, uh, it's set up on a table. It was the, the manna was on the ground. The table of showbread was lifted up off the ground. Christ said, "If I be lifted up, 
He was lifted up. Never again do we find bread being put on the ground, picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. But And this pictures the showbread on the table lifted up, pictures Christ in his glory. Christ, not only, he, before it was life giver, and now it is life sustaining that he has promised to provide for you and me, and we'll look at it in depth in a minute, to sustain us day by day, week by week, month by month, how long? Every time you need something, you can go to the bread of life, and if you're serious and you're looking for it with your heart right, God will feed you. God will feed you every time. Now let's look in, look over in John chapter 6 real quick. And we just look at, this is the first mention of our Lord Jesus being pictured in this manner in the New Testament. <clears throat> and he refers back to the manna, but it also pictures, uh, <clears throat> all right, John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus is talking. And he's talking to a great crowd of people there. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Then if you skip down, it's mentioned twice more in that text, verse 48. Jesus said it again, and you'll see the mention to the Old Testament here. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Then down in verse number uh, 51, he said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And he went on to say, and this is what people didn't understand. He shall, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Those Jews didn't understand that. You and I understand that. That's the first time that he, that Jesus or anywhere else in the New Testament mentioned uh, him being compared to the bread of life, but it all went back to the tabernacle and to the manna that was provided by God there in the uh, Old Testament back in the book of Exodus. Now let's look at that bread, and that's not spelt out for us in Exodus, but if you go to Leviticus chapter 24, it gives us some details about the bread that went on the top of that table. It's not pictured right there. All that's the sermons, but Leviticus chapter 24 and let's begin reading in verse 5 and thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof two tenths deals shall be in one cake and thou shalt set them in two rows six on a row upon the pure table before the Lord and thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. You might want to underline that. I said over in Exodus, it said always, but here it says continually. Being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant, and it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by perpetual statute. The fine flour that made up the bread that was placed in that, on the top of that table, that fine flour also pictures our Lord Jesus Christ. 
in every aspect it pictures him. I'm going to give you just three of them. Back in those days, flour was made from wheat. In order to turn wheat into flour, it had to be crushed and completely broken down where there was no, nothing left in it but the fine powdered. Uh, there couldn't be any little flakes. There couldn't be any little thing. It had to be as fine and fine as it could be. And that pictures our Lord Jesus Christ I tell you what, sometimes I read some of this and I want to get Pentecostal to run and shout. In Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. He, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes are we healed. I got to picture that this week, Brother Bill, about what our Lord Jesus went through being crushed. As the Son of God being crushed and bruised for my iniquity. What he endured. And I thought, how undeserving. And a love that you and I, to this day, do not understand. How that God, the creator of this world, allowed his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was pure and holy, to be bruised and beaten and crushed down like fine powder and sifted. That's the second thing we're looking at. The powder was, was crushed, then it was sifted. Uh, they put that powder, even that they crushed it as far as they could, they put it through a sifter to make sure there was nothing impure left in that powder. And it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ in all his purity. There was not one thousandth of one percent that was not. Let's read a couple of scriptures. John chapter 8 verse 64. The Lord Jesus said this. Now don't look there. We'll get to the next one. Which of you convinces me of sin? They tried to call him a devil. They tried to call him everything you can say of. And he said, which of you has found anything that you've searched and investigated that indicates that there's anything to do with sin in me as the Son of God? And they could not answer him. Look real quickly at Luke chapter 23. We're not going to get through. Luke chapter 23 and some of the statements that were made by about our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 23 and verse 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, what did they say? I find no fault in him. Keep in mind, this was the enemies of God that were making these statements. Again, in, look in 23, verse 47. Now, this was after the crucifixion, and when the centurion, another enemy of God, saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a what? Righteous man. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 27, just quickly. Matthew chapter 27, and verse number 4. Judas is speaking, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood 
And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. All through the scriptures, and there's some more, where God made it apparent that not only the, 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 the believers glorified and honored him, God the Father from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, but his enemies in the end, and that picture is the end time one of these days coming. They said, we found no fault in him. He was truly the son of God, a righteous man. So he's pictured in that again and again. It was crushed, it was sifted, and then it was baked, and we've already looked at that. Over in Isaiah, he suffered the... You, you know, fine flour is good, but you can't eat it till it's baked. It's got to go in an extremely hot oven to bake it. And our Lord Jesus Christ suffered the fires of God's wrath when he was put on the cross of Calvary. Even to the point that being the God-man, he still cried out and said, Why hast thou forsaken me? What a desperate... And I thought about he forsook him for me and you. God forsook his son for me and you. I can't explain that. I wouldn't give my son or any of us. But God forsook his son that you and I might have our sins forgiven. Uh, let's quickly, I'm going to try to get through with this. The portion of the bread, I think that's pretty well self-explanatory. Uh, there was 12 loaves. That was that pictures that there was a sufficient supply for the 12 tribes of Israel. When the priests went in and ate of that bread on the seventh day, they were picturing that their God had provided and all through their the, the, the nation of Israel's life, God had provided for them even in the wilderness when there was no source of food. God provided for them manna for about 3 million people if the study people have that right. Uh, the priest ate the bread. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 over in the New Testament tells us what about us in God's sight. I don't ever feel that way. But he said we are a what? Royal priesthood. How many of you say, how many of y'all look at yourself as a priest? Royal priest. God does. God does. I can't imagine that, Brother Dan. Can't imagine that. But God said, you're a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. It was very, very special. But just quickly making an application, those 12 loaves of bread pictured that God had made a sufficient supply and had blessed and privileged them. And that supply was for every person in the nation of Israel, bar none. They were all invited. You remember when the Lord Jesus said, come and dine. He says that to us today. I thought about this. And sometimes, you know, sometimes, Bill, we just don't seem to put the importance on some things that we ought to. What a privilege that you and a guy have got a book today called The Word of God. And God wrote it as a love letter to you and me to express to us how much he loved us and how much he was willing to do for us not only to secure our salvation but to feed us day by day and week by week and he promised it's a continual offering that will never cease Whew. brother listen this is a privilege 
if I had a personal letter written from some well-known Ronald Reagan, the President of the United States, I would treasure that. Sometimes we take this so lightly, nod your head. Sometimes we take it so lightly. What a privilege to have a book written especially to me. The God of heaven that created heaven and earth and created me. And say, I want to tell you how much I love you. And I want to tell you all that I promised to do for you. And all I want in return, I want you to love me. You know, God didn't save us to, God didn't, I've heard, y'all have heard the saying, save to serve. No, 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 that's a secondary purpose with God. What is the first purpose? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy strength and all that's in thee. That's the first and the greatest commandment of all. God says, all I really want is for you to love me. Do y'all understand that? Think about it with your husband, with your wife. I had a good wife. And she did everything she could to make a nice home. Help me. But I thought several times, which would I choose? Would I choose somebody that washes my clothes and makes my bed and irons my clothes and cooks my meals and all that stuff but doesn't love me? Or would I rather have somebody that loves me and she does that because she loves me? That's what God wants out of you and me. He wants us to serve him. He lets us serve him. He doesn't need us to serve him. But he wants us to serve him because we love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. And if we serve him in any other way, you got no reward in heaven. It counts for nothing, absolutely nothing. We're not going to get through with this. I can't go, I can't move on. Let me just... Let's look at the partaking of the bread. We've already looked over in Leviticus. It was for what? Aaron and his sons. Uh, they went in, and of course, they were they they were pictured of the entire nation of Israel, but they were the only group, the Aaron and his sons, the priests, that went in. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 24 just to point out a couple of things quickly. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 9, And it shall be Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. You might want to mark that. For it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord, made by fire in a perpetual statute. And it was already given to us over in Exodus. It was done on the seventh day. That was a holy day. To you and I today in the New Testament, every day that we wake up is a holy day. We don't have any separate days in that Israelite setting that they had. What's the scripture said about waking up in the morning? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I've challenged you again and again. Every morning when you wake up, you ought to wake up glorifying God and saying, God... I want you to cleanse me. I want you to fill me with thy Holy Spirit. I want you to use me to glorify thyself today in whatever way you want it done. First uh, Corinthians 10, 31 said, Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatsoever you do, do all for what? The glory of God. I, I've written some people here lately about some things, and I said, when you get up in the morning and you take a shower and you dress, or at night when you get ready to go out somewhere and you put on some clothes, you ought to look in the mirror and say, is this acceptable to God and can I wear this in public for the glory of God? I said, if you can't, take it off. 
some of my grandkids. <laughs> They're not happy with me sometimes, but they anyway. But let me just point out that we got about three minutes. Every day is a holy day. But there is one day that the New Testament has set aside for you and I as Christians to do what? We're to worship. That's not the seventh day. This is the Lord's day. That's Sunday. The seventh day was Saturday. We're to feed on the Word of God every day. Y'all with me? Do you, do you understand how needed and how necessary that is? Let me ask you a question. You'll, you've heard this before. How many of you have to eat physical food every day? If we don't, we get weak and do it long enough, you'll die. Same thing is true with this. God said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Brother, we ought to discipline ourselves to feed ourselves from the word of God. If you sit down here and you really want something out of your heart, God will give it to you. God will give it to you. You know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And that word logos is translated there. It's not talking about just reading it. It's talking about getting, read it with an open heart to you. Get something from God. That's what the word rima means in, the, in that Romans 10, 19. But let me just point out a couple of things. You know, we are, God has ordained that you and I should come together on the first day of the week. And we're to meet together. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the matter of some is, but extorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. If Paul thought the Christians needed exhorting in his day, how much more today? Whew. Let me just point out the importance of this. I hope you can read this. Let's turn that thing off. You know, again, we take some things so lightly. Amen? We take them so lightly. God doesn't take them lightly. Are you all at Hebrews 10.25? It says, not forsaking. This is God's word. I put it up here. I don't know if you can see it. The word forsake, forsaking, I can't pronounce that, E-G-K-A-T-A-T-E-I-P-O. I can't pronounce that, that's Greek. It means do not leave this behind to do something else. I've looked it up in every Greek dictionary I can find. God said not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. When did they assemble? On the first day of the week. Study your whole New Testament. They assembled. I can't picture them missing that day. Say, well, we're going out to the lake and have a picnic. Amen. You're welcome. <laughs> I've heard Christians say that. God said, not forsaking. Do not leave this commandment behind to go do something else. It's a serious thing for a Christian to leave behind the assembling of themselves together on the first day of the week to have fellowship, hear the word of God, to be strengthened for the week and go do something just because it's fun. And then the second thing, the two words that's in there, if you look at them, the word not forsaking the assembling, that word and together, they're the same Greek word. I didn't spell it out, but I've got it up here if you want it. It means a complete collection. No members missing. 
He said, don't leave it behind and be missing when the church assembles themselves together. If you want that Greek word, I'll give it to you. But how important it is that you and I, you know, I don't know about you, but I need to be here on the first day of the week because I'm looking at a week ahead of me and I got no idea what I'm going to be looking at and I need something. I need something. I've been preaching 50 years. I still need something every day of every week. And I get something during the week, but there's something special about coming to God's house and meeting with God's people. And we'll look at that next week when we cover this satisfaction of the bread. Brother, I would encourage you to be very diligent. And I would encourage you to be very, very serious-minded before you leave off the forsaking of yourself to come to God's house on the first day of the week after all God's done for us. And say, I'm going to Grandma's house for dinner. Now, there's there's things that are providentially. Y'all understand that. I'm not legalistic. There's times that providentially we can't be here. And there's times sometimes when maybe the ministry or sickness in your family or something calls you apart. God understands that. 